Hello and welcome along to the World Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 27th of January, as it is my co-host coming to us all the way from his home in Sydney. Welcome to you, Nick Stoll, aka Stolich. Stolich, I have to first ask you, son, are you just absolutely delighted that this southerly change has come in for us in New South Wales because this heat wave was brutal? Ah, let me tell you something. Two things. First, my pale skin betrayed me yesterday and I got burned like you wouldn't believe at the beach or it is killing me right now to even lean back. If you see me today leaning forward, that's the reason why. Two, this apartment does not have air conditioning. So let me tell you something. Oh, my God. I, I've been eating Zupa Dupas for days on end. So I'm very happy that this uh, subly change has happened. And uh, listen, we all love a subly change all across Australia. <laughs> and you know what I'm going to say, as impolitically correct as it's going to be, you're not a real wog if you're getting sunburnt, and I'll leave it at that, all right, because us yeah. wogs don't burn. Can I just say, listen, my family, we're apparently Greek all the way back to, you know, Socrates and Plato, as my um, papa will tell me, but on the other side of my family is Lithuanian, right? Lithuania doesn't get too much sun, and I feel like that's where I picked up the uh, skin from. So, uh, yes, you know unfortunately... What? And my dad also said to me he could have been as good as Maradona, all right? So never trust what the Wogs will tell you. All right, uh, let's get on with the show. We've got a massive program coming up with us. Shortly we'll be joined by Western United defender Andrew Durante as he approaches his 400th game this weekend. We said to him off air just before that Rude's bloody better play him because we want to see him achieve that milestone. Incredible stuff to come from Jura. So many stories to tell across his fabulous and storied career. So really looking forward to catching up with him in just a few short moments. Later on, we'll also be catching up with with uh, Central Coast Mariners as a defender special here today. Central Coast Mariners defender Ruan Tonic, who's also been on absolute fire at the moment for the Mariners, as have that club too, sitting pretty at top of the table. They've only lost once this season, so plenty to talk about. Uh, and we'll also get into life under Alan Stajic and just how different things are at the Mariners this time around. And are we perhaps maybe getting a little bit ahead of ourselves? Should mm. we pump the brakes a bit and just wait to see if, um, you know, this is still worth having the conversation over mid-season? And also later on, this one's an interesting one. Um, for those of you that don't know him, he's the president of Melbourne Knights, the football club down in Victoria, Pave Yusup. He, if you haven't seen them already, we will be reading them out when we catch up with him later on, but he uh, put up a, a string of pretty strong tweets concerning the National Second Division and Football Australia's position on it, as well as the AAFC's position. So go and have a look ahead of time if you want to get up to speed on, on just what that conversation entails. But um, it's also a very special welcome to all of our guests are tuning in. Janet Hebson, morning all. I don't know, Janet, if you just woke up or if you're coming to us from a different time zone but fabulous to have everybody right across the country it's the afternoon for us here michael long great to see you my friend bianca petko another one of our top fans here on the world game santina mamona ivan stragan great to welcome back all of our special guests here today we love having everybody especially a league memes nick like melbourne city have you got no fans they want to know i've got I've, i'm i'm, I'm kind of like a few of these expansion teams i've got one fan and uh, I need to get more. I dangerously need to get more fans. I'm, I'm engaging the fan community. I'm trying to bring the fans in. I need active fans all around my house. You do need active fans all around your house. We'd love to see it as well. But let's move on. As I said, we've got a jam-packed show coming up, as we do every single week. Uh, keep your questions and your comments coming through, guys, because we love to engage with you. That's the purpose of the whole program. But I want to start off with the news item and making headlines, of course. A, a fabulous one to get off the mark here. Craig Foster and Tim Cahill, both former Socceroos, make the Australia Day Honours list. Fantastic to see our former colleague and our beloved friend Craig Foster achieve this. And also Tim Cahill, one of the beloved sons 
sons of the Socceroos, uh, you know, it's such a fabulous career. And to see him achieve this, I think, is equally just as special. Of course, for Foz, he's now a, a human rights activist and he's made such waves since, uh, you know, he bailed out ex-Bahraini footballer uh, Hakim Al-Arabi out of jail in Thailand after he was falsely detained. Things have just gone from strength to strength for Foz from there. Tim Cahill, of course, making waves now in the coaching scene, really looking to amp up his education and see what he could do. But um, really well-deserved accolades, you'd have to say, Stolich. Yeah, absolutely. And and huge for the game. You know, those two, Foz and Cahill, are, are legends of the game, both, you know, for what they do on and off the field. But just a big recognition for football, which I think is often overlooked. You know, you have other sports and they're like, oh, how great was this, you know, AFL player or cricketer. With respect, you know, Tim Cahill has gone to four World Cups. I mean... That's something that no other, you know, sport can say when he scoring goals, the world was watching. And what Foz is doing, you know, with the UN, working with the UN, um, you know, his connections with NBA players, with Sonny Bill Williams, uh, mm -hmm. just an example for us all. And I'm super proud to know him and have worked with him and, and continue on the legacy. No, I couldn't agree more. And for those of you that don't know, Foz was made an AM, which is a member of the General Division of the Order of Australia for his ongoing activism for refugees in detention, human rights, and also promoting multiculturalism, while Cahill was appointed an officer, an AO, in the General Division of the Order of Australia for his service to football and philanthropic work. So congratulations to them both. Michael Long, well-deserved, especially Foz, well-deserved right across the board. Great to see them. All right, it's time now to welcome along our special guest. He's a fabulous star and a fabulous servant to the game of football in this country with a career that spans very close to now 400 professional games. Welcome to the show, Andrew Durante, West United defender. Jura, welcome along. I'm telling you, we are Thank just you. counting down the moments until you can actually tick this box <laughs> off. But I asked you before, I said, is Rude's going to play? I mean, I know it's a big game coming up on the weekend. You've got the derby against Melbourne Victory, but this is such a special milestone that the bastard has to. He absolutely <laughs> has to. Look, you never know. You never know with uh with mark but look i hope so it, it's going to be uh yeah a special milestone to hit 400 games in in the domestic league is is not an easy thing to do it's not like you play 50 60 games a, a year so it's taken a long time um but uh something i'll look back on on my career and be pretty proud of does it feel like it's taken a long time though i mean does it feel like you're on the cusp of 400 games or is it gone by just like that uh a bit of both. When you look back on your career, it feels like it's gone quick, but it's been 20 years as a professional. It's a long time in professional sport. And, uh, wow. you know, I started off as an 18 year old. I had a contract under Branko Cholina at Sydney Olympic, made my debut uh, the year after that with, with Gary Phillips. And honestly, that feels like a lifetime ago, um, to be honest. But yeah, still going at 38, really enjoying it. I, I still love waking up every day and, and coming to training and testing myself and, and trying to improve my game still at 38. So still hungry to, to be successful. You're like the A-League's version of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. You just get better with age. I think we could all agree. Stolich, over to you, some questions for Jura. Yeah, Jura, I wanted to know how has the A-League changed as someone who's been playing in it for so long? You know, what has it improved on? What is it do you think it could have improved on that we have still some of the problems from the past? Um, you know, as someone who's played so many games, you've seen it all and you've played for different clubs as well. So what, what has kind of been the big change? Yeah, I think it's it's really been a, a roller coaster. The A League. It started off with so much anticipation, going from the old NSL. No one knew what the A League was going to look like. Um, you know, at the beginning, I think it was it was quite exciting. Yes, there was a lot of um, you know clubs like Sydney Olympic, Marconi, Melbourne Knights, these big clubs that that got pushed aside. But 
I think people were genuinely excited from it. It took a little while to maybe reach its peak. I think that year with with Del Piero, Heskey and Ono, that was probably peak A-League, you know, getting those big players um, to come out to our shores and play was was huge. And I think, you know, maybe we didn't capitalise enough on that. Um, I think the issues now, um, and, and people talk about it all the time, is the young generation and, and who is coming through and who are the next Socceroos. And I think it broke down because when I was a junior, uh, I went to Sydney Olympic when I was 12 years old. I went through the system. I went 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s, 16s, reserve team, first grade. So there was a clear pathway for me to become a pro. Um, I had idols that I used to go every weekend and watch them, Ante Urich, Troy Halpern, Scott Bailey. You know, these guys were, were my idols growing up. And so the transition in the process to become a pro was maybe a little bit easier. A, a lot of A-League clubs now, they only have the first team, a reserve team, um, you know, and, and haven't really gained that junior development. So it's a little bit harder to, to kind of, um, you know, get those young players coming through. It's a massive topic of conversation at the moment, of course, we know, and we're catching up with um, uh, an MPL club president later on in Pave Yusuf, who's really advocating for a national second division, and we're talking about creating those pathways and ways in which we can do that. I know that Arnie's also been very vocal about us needing to provide more opportunities to younger players. But when you cast your mind back to the NSL, I mean, look, it's the diet I grew up on and it really fed my soul. It still fills me with nostalgia every time I reflect on it, but it wasn't yeah. without issues either, Jura. But what do you remember about that time in particular and playing in that era? Uh, I love it, Lucy. Honestly, when I watch the old footage of those games, of NSL games, you know, Sydney Olympic Junior, um, you know, going to Belmore Park, going to Leichhardt Oval and watching Sydney Olympic with my dad, with all my teammates, it, it, was, it was honestly a, a really, really special time. And it's a shame there's not enough um, credit given to the NSL or not enough connection with the NSL and the A-League. They're kind of divided, which is a real shame um, because the NSL was was magic. Some of the players that came out and played and yeah, it was it was a beautiful time. Um, and and that was my that was my childhood. That was me as a young kid growing up. I had I had my idols watching them every week. Then I was fortunate enough to play with them. I only played three years of the of the old NSL. Um, but amazing memories. I, I, I genuinely loved them. Um, like I said, I, if I there's a Facebook page of the old NSL games, and I love getting on there and, and watching those games because that was my childhood. I, I loved it. Yeah, Un unbelievable. Some of the players that you rattled off there, incredible. Were there any opponents that really stood out to you in your mind that you still remember coming up against that were really tough mothers? The, the the toughest opponents always was uh, Bobby Despotowski and, oh, yeah. and, and and Damian Mori. When they were at Perth together, they were almost unstoppable. So, you know, Sydney Olympic and Perth in those final years were were the strongest two clubs. So it was always a really big battle between between Perth and, and Sydney Olympic. So, you know, definitely those two were were a handful for a young kid trying to make his way in the game. Mm, comment coming through from one of our top viewers here on the World Game Live, Ivan Stragan. Great to have your company, as I said earlier. Ivan Jura is now among the greats of Melta Tobin and Trimboli, who've also reached the 400-game milestone, and very few have managed to achieve that, Jura. An incredible career for you. Um, over to you, Stolich. Yeah, uh, Dura, I wanted to ask kind of what the future holds for you. You know, we're looking back at your 400 games, but also, you know, you played very well against Perth. Uh, you know, are we, we going to see you retire anytime soon? Do you want to prolong that career? And afterwards, are you looking to move into coaching or something else? Yeah, this this will be my final year, um, definitely. Oh. So I'm, I'm, I want to make the most of it. I want to enjoy it. It's been my final year for the last four years, but I always get <laughs> into 
gets sucked into playing another year. But um, look, I think I think you know this will be my final year. And look, I, I really love my time here at Western United. Um, when I moved from Wellington, it, it wasn't just to play one year and and then go. I wanted to embed myself in the football club. Um, they got really big ambitions here to be a a huge club and a powerhouse in the A League. So you know that really excited me. Um, fantastic group of people here. So. I want to stay with the club. I want to dabble in, in coaching. Um, I've got to complete my badges, but I, I want to dabble in, in junior development coaching um, to start off. And and also I like the football operations side of it. So if there's a, an opportunity for a, a mixture of that, then you know I'm really uh, looking forward to that. It's so exciting to hear that you want to still stay in the game. And I mean, it's a worthy question that Stolich has asked you because a lot of players don't necessarily want to consider a career in coaching or pursuing life in football after football. It's not always for everybody. So it's great to hear that we'll still be able to keep you in some capacity. But I want to go back to your motivation behind leaving Wellington. To be honest, Jura, I was a little bit surprised actually that you made the, the call to move because I thought that was the club that you were such a revered legend at. And I honestly thought that that's probably where you were going to retire. But now when you reflect on that decision, can you give us some insight into your motivation behind leaving? I know you worked under Roods and then he obviously went over to West United and really wanted you to come along. But how do you look back on that particular decision now? Yeah, it was it was not an easy decision. 11 years at a club and, and obviously playing so many games for the club. And look, I still love Wellington. My daughters were all born there. I'm, I'm really attached. I played for the national team of New Zealand. So I'm, I'm really, really attached to, to Wellington. And but, you know, for me personally, I felt like I was in a comfort zone. I felt it was a little bit, I was a little bit stale and a little bit stagnant. And, you know, I, I wanted to challenge myself. And it was the opportunity to come to a brand new startup club. And, and I wanted to know if I could help create and build culture and values at a new club. I knew I did it at Wellington and, and, I, and, and I carried that on. But I wanted to see if I could make an impact at a brand new club. And it was a blank piece of paper here. They had no... They had no players. They had no, uh, you know, culture or values. And I wanted to add to that. And I wanted to see, can I make an impact at a brand new club and do it somewhere else? Um, also, motivation was being closer to my family. My, my daughters were getting to an age now where they really missed their grandparents, missed their cousins. And if I could be back closer to them. we, we My wife and I told with that for many years in Wellington about our family, our daughters missing out on, on family time. And, and that was really important for us. So coming back to Melbourne, although COVID, has stopped that completely because we thought we'd be seeing our family a lot more. But obviously with COVID, we haven't been able to see them as much. But that's definitely the other motivation in coming home is to be closer to my family. Mm, some questions and comments coming through from our fans. Um, Jorge Lazo, great to hear from you, Georgie, our colleague over at SBS and always tuning in on the World Game to either give us a bit of grief or in this instance actually ask a legitimate question. So bravo, Georgie. Nice to have, um, you know, yes, it is actually a great question. But Tommy said, how hard was it to come back from your injury at Para Power? Did you think your career was over and do you think it stopped you from going abroad or playing at a high level? Can you give some insight into people that perhaps don't know about that particular incident, Jura? Yeah, so it was. Um, I was at Parramatta Power at the time, and um, you know it was my fifth or sixth game in at the club, and and feeling really good and playing really well, and and then had my leg broken in a game against Marconi, um, and at the time I was in consideration for the Athens Olympics as well, so it came at a really bad time for me. Um, you know, it was a you know 11, 12 month injury. It took me a long time to get back. I just made it back. Um, to maybe go to the Athens Olympics and I, I got called into the, the final um, Aussie camp to to try and go, but I wasn't quite there. I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't um, up to speed, which which was heartbreaking because it was an Olympics, so they don't come around often. So, you know, it was a big opportunity that I missed. Um, 
the the NSL finished, the A League started, so there was a ten month break as well, and I needed to play games. So I went to Singapore and played uh, six months in Singapore just to get game time. Came back, signed with the Newcastle Jets, and thought, all right, this is my opportunity now. Back in the A League, you know, back in Australia to to make a have a good season, and then maybe try to go overseas because my ambition was to play overseas. Uh, Pre-season game, broke my leg again for the second time uh, against uh, Central Coast Mariners, and and I missed the entire first season. So, you know, when I reflect on so many games, it wasn't easy because I had two broken legs at the age of 23 and 25. Um, my career was always stop-start a little bit at the beginning, and I did question, am I going to have a career in the game? Am I ever going to make it as a pro? Am I going to fulfil my potential? So... Difficult time. The Newcastle break was a, a really difficult time. I was living on my own in Newcastle. Um, you know, it was tough to do the rehab because I knew what was ahead of me, so it was really challenging. But look, I've ended up having a decent career for myself, so I, you know, I can't be, you know, too harsh on it. God, I'm so glad that you stuck it out. Um, another question coming from Santina Mamorna before I throw over to Stolich for the last few questions before we say goodbye. Andrew, do you feel welcome down in Geelong? He wants to know. Yeah. Look. Uh, it's a brand new club, so getting fan um, interaction is is really difficult. Um, we actually enjoy playing in Geelong. The players feel at home in Geelong. Someone told me a stat the other day that we've only lost one game uh, in Geelong, so it's actually a, a bit of a fortress for us. And you know, it's it's a big stadium. It's hard to create the atmosphere that we want. Um, but the fans that do come, they do their best. Um, you know, they're fantastic supporters group. The Western United uh, supporters group are fantastic, but. It's a hard stadium to, uh, to to create a good atmosphere. We're going to build our own stadium in the next few years, which is going to be immense. Um, I think that will really put this club on the map as, as one of the, the top teams in the country. And then once that happens, then, you know, the sky's the limit for this football club. Unreal. Stolich, final questions for Jura before we say goodbye. Yeah, Dura, I just wanted to know, um, you know, how some of the new players are settling in at West United, you know, Victor Sanchez, uh, Gorachea. Uh, how, how are they going down there? Yeah, they've been fantastic. Victor, for me, is uh, a class above. He's a top, top. I don't even know what he's doing here. Why he's in Australia? Because he could still be playing overseas comfortably. He's he's fantastic. Great leader. You know, his English is actually really, really good. So, you know, he's very vocal. He's, you know, he's calm. He's, he's, a, he's a physical player, which suits this league as well. So... He's been fantastic. Iko settled in really well as well. He's, a, he's going to be a fantastic player for us. So these guys have come in. They're top professionals. They've settled in really quickly and, and they're going to add real value to our football club. Well, we're really looking forward to seeing how things shape up for the season. You guys have got an amazing squad. Of course, things haven't gone entirely your way to start off the season. But, Jura, I mean, so many comments and love coming through for you saying it's, you know, you've made a massive difference by being there, feeling assured with you in the defence. You're coming up to your 400th game. We hope that you get that opportunity this weekend against Melbourne Victory in the Derby. Jura, you're the ultimate professional, a top guy, you. and you've been such an immense servant, servant to the game of football here in this country. And we're so proud to have you here on the show and, and to have watched your career unfold. So we wish you all the very best, mate. Thanks for making the time for us today. Thanks, Lucy. Appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Dara. Yes, Stuff from go. Andrew Ranto there, top guy. Um, you know, and as I said, they're a top servant to the game of football, has had so much to offer. Uh, Stolich, um, shortly uh, we're going to catch up with Ruan Tonic, another defender, as I said at the top of the show. Um, it's the defender's special, ultimately. We've got a lot of love to give them because they've been in actually in exceptional form, and Ruan is another one that has actually been on fire recently. So we will be catching up with him in just a minute, but we want to just quickly wrap up the A-League and the action that we have seen over the past couple of days. Mariners, of course, sitting pretty on top, and we'll talk 
talk more to Ruan about that. But Jake Brimmer, wow, if you didn't catch that game between the victory and Perth yesterday, shame on you because you might have been fooled into thinking actually that the victory or the Perth were, were going to run away with it. But then the victory, they delivered uh, a fabulous header from Jake Brimmer and also a penalty that put them in a position where they're able to walk away with a 2-1 victory over the glory. But what has surprised you is the question that we're asking. And Stolich, I'd love to ask you first, what surprised you the most about the A-League season so far? Well, I mean, i got to say it, you know, Mariners on top. That was not something that I think anyone predicted uh, this early on, and I'm really looking forward to the chat that we're going to have with Ruan about what's changed there because uh, mm -hmm. I think they are doing some really good work. But, yeah, last night, Jake Brimmer. Uh, you know, I want to give a shout-out to Ivan Stragan. I think a few weeks ago he said on here that uh, actually he should be Melbourne Victory's uh, captain, and I was a bit dismissive, like, oh, come on, the kid's young. <laughs> but he showed captain material last night, you know, getting in the box, scoring that header, taking the decisive penalty. My understanding is he isn't the regular uh, penalty taker. No. Um, but he stepped up in that. He scored a crucial goal. Uh, you know, I thought... The, all the penalty takers were off at that point anyway, I think. Well, they, they, they have so many injuries and everything. I'm, I'm surprised, <laughs> you know, they don't have more of those issues. But he did, he did fantastically, Jake Brim. I thought victory overall actually played okay. They created a lot of chances. But it wasn't looking good for them, you know, like 1-0 down, 80th minute injuries, you know, that had issues with the crowd, that they shut off the, the north end and the south end, which I thought was like, come on, what are you doing? There's no cases in Victoria and you can't even sing. And I love the fact that the Victory fans, once that first goal went in, they started getting up. They started singing their songs. They started creating an atmosphere. You know, I mean, I don't want to say go against like these COVID restrictions, but when there's zero cases in your state, man, sing as loud as you want, all right? Jump <laughs> up and dance, you know, come on. Get out of here with all these restrictions. If you're in the stadium, it's obviously they're, they're letting it be okay. So I thought it was, a good, it was a good game. A comment coming through from one of our other regular viewers, Justin Parker. Good afternoon to you, Justin. Great to have your company, mate, from wherever you're tuning in right across the country. His answer to what has surprised him the most has been how evenly matched the teams have been. That's surprised him. Would you agree with that, Stolich? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one. I mean, you look at like Perth, right? Perth, they've scored 10 goals. They've conceded 10 goals. They've only played three games. Uh, I think because the teams are a lot quite younger, so you're going to get a bit more of the inconsistencies. Uh, they're a bit thinner. You know, they don't have as many players. So you're going to have games where you go, oh, that team's doing really well, and then they're going to kind of fall off as well. So, you know, I don't think we should uh, be too surprised when a team has a really bad result, say Adelaide's 5-3 against Perth. Sometimes that's just going to happen. It might not be indicative of, you know, bigger, wider issues that are going to go on all season. I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, race, and I'm really looking forward to it. One thing that we didn't get time to ask Jura about, and this you'd have to say was the game of, of the round, was the yeah. clash between West United and Perth Glory. It was absolutely, to put it bluntly, cack-a-doodle, 5-4, yeah. result. I was getting ready to actually do present the um, the sports bulletin over at SBS and watching the game and thinking, okay, I'm just going to quickly go up and go to the bathroom, get myself ready, coming back and seeing that the score again had changed and been flipped on its head. It was madness, but game of the round. But what do you think of, now that we've had an opportunity to take a look at Perth Glory, before we welcome Ruan Tony, mm -hmm in just a moment what do you think about Perth and how do you fancy their chances this season well I, I mean they they have an amazing attack you know Fornaroli scoring Keo's looking all right 
Um, Amiento, oh my God, what a player. Yeah, Amiento a player. goals, assists, everything looks so confident. But, you know, they got a lot of young players. And, um, you know, to give an example, uh, Josh Rawlins last night, you know, he's the 16-year-old, yeah. we very excited. He played very well in, I thought, their first couple of games or at least their first game. But then he gives away that kind of silly handball in the box, which maybe when you're playing a 16-year-old, you're going to get a bit of those up and downs. Yeah. Uh, you're going to get those great performances, and then they're going to make mistakes that an experienced player wouldn't. So I don't know how Perth's going to go. Uh, again, it's a learning experience as well, not only for these young players, but for Richie Garcia in his first game as well. So I think they're going to be you know, challenging for the finals for sure because they've got the talent there. Um, but let's see how they go you know, defensively because that seems to be their big issue so far, 10 goals conceded. It does seem to be a bit of a weakness for them. But let's welcome uh, the absolute opposite of weakness at the moment, and it's great strength <laughs> at this point. This is a club that is flying high at the moment. And uh, one man that will be very happy to share in that news and that delight is defender Ruan Tonic for the Central Coast Mariners. Ruan, great to see you, my friend. Thank you for making the time for us. Tell us, how is life on the coast? It must be nice, my friend. Loving loving life right now. And thanks, for, thank, you, thank you guys for having me. But, yeah, we're, um, I'm enjoying myself and... I've been here. I've been here for a year and a half, and I, I'm absolutely loving the coast. Year and a half later, and you guys are on top of the table. Um, and and you know, respectfully speaking, it's an unusual sight to see, only because we have experienced some real kind of sadness when it comes to the Mariners in recent times. But what's changed, Ruan, from when you first signed at the club to now? What's the difference? I think, as you can see, we've we've um, we've got so we've got like Oliver Zanich coming into the team, and he's brought a lot of leadership into the into the team. But it's just that, you know, we still had the same amount of um, players that we had last year. But I think it's just our mentality and desire to wanting to win and um, just showing that we can give back to a lot, especially to the fans that have been um, supporting us all these years. And they are such fantastic, loyal supporters. Musi Alongo, one of our regular viewers here on the World Game Live, joining us now with a comment. Man, like Ruan Tonic, the best defender in A-League on current form. And we have to agree <laughs> with that, Ruan. You have been on fire, my lad. Uh, it has been nice. incredible. Nice. <laughs> no, it's not too nice. I think it's really accurate and fair. But what's changed for you personally? I mean, you talked about what's changed with the Mariners and the club overall. I mean, I agree with you. I think Oli Bozanic has been a massive difference. Some real grit and guts in the midfield now with him. The guy's fighting for every ball. He's really playing for that badge which is great to see but for you personally do you feel like you've evolved in terms of experience and where you're at in your football career yeah absolutely um you know obviously as as, as many people know i've been to a lot of other 80 clubs and um it was just a matter of time before i found my feet and um being able to um to uh to be in a team where i can um i can learn a lot and also give a lot as well because we've got a young squad as well as well as experienced players so um we've got a great mix and i just feel like um you know being injury free and being able to be at my best i think that i can I, I can provide a lot for the team yeah you certainly have solich over to you some questions for ruan yeah ruan i wanted to know uh, from you i remember you know when you started out at adelaide united you were their young player of the year everyone was kind of very excited about you you went to melbourne city where a lot of good young australian players kind of end up or at least they, you know they start because they want to buy the best young australian talent it didn't work out for you. You went to the Wanderers, and I thought, okay, it's going to work out for me, the Wanderers. Then you went to Brisbane, then the Mariners. And to be honest with you, I thought, ah, it's a shame. It's one of those careers that young promise hasn't kind of gone, you know, has gone declined. Yeah. But then you've come back, and like Musi's saying, best defender in the league so far this season. What is it? Because there are going to be a few players who are in this situation where they start off, you know, young, there's a lot of excitement around them, but maybe they don't kind of instantly get success. What advice would you give to them, you know, mentally or, or whether it's a tactical thing, a coaching thing? You know, what advice would you give to those young players to say, 
listen, it doesn't matter about maybe the initial success, but you can still keep going and, you know, keep being successful. Yeah. I think, I think my advice to them would be never to give up, you know, no matter how many, like, how many chances you get or no matter how down you are in your football career, I think that, you know, the, the right opportunity will come if you just keep working for it. And I think with me, like, I've had the opportunities to be at fantastic other clubs, but it was just, it just, it just wasn't right at the time. You know what I mean? Sometimes there's things that are out of my control or things that, um, that things that you can't control. So the only thing I'd give them, the only advice I'd give them is just keep, keep working hard because the opportunity will come if you keep working hard for it. And I think I'm just at a stage in my career where I have to prove a lot now because, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of people back me up and, you know, obviously um, had some hard times as well as a player. So I've just got to give back to them as well. Bianca Petko, Talon has been there from day one. Good to see Ruan doing so well. Couldn't agree more. Further to your point as well, Ruan, it also helps when you've got a manager that believes in you, that invests in you, that wants to give you opportunities out there on the park. And it seems as though Stadge, who historically has always done that, particularly with younger players or players still trying to find their teeth and cut through. So what's life been like under Stadge? Yeah, like you said, um, he's very, very good with, uh, with players like that. You know, especially my first year, um, I had a chat with him before coming to the club. And, you know, he had the expectation uh, of, of, of what I can produce and bring to the team. But um, it's, it's, been, it's been great, you know, I'm working under him. He's, 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 he's been very good to me and also the other players. And um, he's, been, he's been guiding us towards the right direction, which is a positive thing. Mm, certainly is. Uh, Stolich, over to you. Some final questions now for Ruan before we say goodbye. Yeah, uh, Ruan, I believe uh, Alu Kual, who's uh, in great form, is your housemate. Is that correct? That's that's correct. That's correct. What is he? Because listen, he's got a lot of personality in the little snippets that we've seen. Yeah. What is he like as a housemate, twenty four seven? You know, you know, in your house, basically. Nah, to be honest, he's a good. He's a good character. He's very funny, and he's he's always got that energy with him. So he brings it brings it everywhere he goes. So it's 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 good living with him. And obviously, you know, he's a young he's a young kid, and he's still got a lot to learn. But the positive thing is, like, he wants to learn as well. But the thing is, I think that just with his character, the way he is, and carries himself. You know, he should always keep that. And and knowing knowing him very well now, you know, I can be able to guide him and um, hopefully guide him towards the right direction. Yeah, hopefully with you there that he's got some stability and a good driving force as well. But I reckon you two lads will get up to some grief as well. Um, a comment coming through from Matthew and Puffos before we say goodbye to you, Ruan. Even though I'm a Sydney FC fan, Ruan dominated our attackers. Not an easy feat. Well done. I have to, you know, really agree with Matthew there because I thought you were sensational in a game against the reigning champions, right, who are really no mugs in this competition and who are looking to continue their dominance in Australian football. But um, you've got uh, a game this Sunday against Wellington Phoenix. And, um, you know, things at the moment are looking really solid for you guys. You're beating clubs like Sydney FC. Do you feel like you guys are allowed to kind of really celebrate this moment or do you not want to get ahead of yourselves and stay really focused because it still is early on in the season? Yeah, uh, we definitely don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Um, we spoke about that as a playing group and with the, with the coaching staff. I think um, we've laid a great foundation so far and we've set the bar for ourselves. So I think that we just have to maintain it and also improve each time but um you know i think i think with the league there's a lot of lot of great teams and i think that we don't fear any team at the moment and i think that on, on our day that we go out to play as we've proven um the last few games we can beat anyone so i think that we go out with full confidence and just keep building each game
Mm, oh, Ruan, so perfectly said, mate. Thank you so much for making the time to catch up with, you, with us here on the World Game Live. It's great to chat to you. Great to see you in such incredible form. And we wish you guys all the very best going forward. And we hope that we can catch up again mid-season and be having the same conversation. You guys on top still, huh? Definitely. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. Good on you, Ruan. Yes, you, great Ruan. to catch up with Ruan Tonic there. Central Coast Mariners defender. Um, you know, so much positivity around this club at the moment. And I, and I wanted to ask him that question deliberately there at the end there, Stolich, was because, you know, we are in a situation where it's still early doors. It's great to see the Mariners not only being competitive, but translating that competitive football into results, which is precisely what I said when they, you know, started to really get the, the run of wins on the board there. But I think it's, it's really looking positive for them going forward. But what I would like to see is this last. Yeah, and I think I think that's it. Is like you know at the start, maybe the first two games is a bit of a joke. Oh my god, can you believe it? The Mariners are top of the table. You know, now they beat Sydney FC. That was a statement. That was a statement yeah. saying, listen, this isn't just a fluke. This isn't just a bit of luck. We are here. We are competitive. We are going to be tough to beat. You know, the team looks fired up. You know, they have they've got the experience in Bazanic and Simon, but they've also got you know Nisbet De Silva creating. You know, yeah. Alu Quarrel scoring. You know, Tonyuk at the back has been uh, fantastic. Birigidi, may I say. I think he's been the goalkeeper so far this season. He has been sensational for them. Him and, he's, Federici, him and Federici are right up there for me. Yeah, exactly. I think they've, they've been fantastic. And Bira Giddyman, you know, we saw Paul Izzo make his move from the A-League to Europe now, and uh, I don't think he started yet for Jean FC, but I think he will eventually. Um, but Bira Giddy could be right up there. He's been absolutely sensational. And, you know, a, another guy who was, at, I think, at Adelaide and wasn't getting enough game time, went to the Mariners, getting game time and, you know, really showing his stuff. And now his reputation is just going up and up and up. So it shows you how important game time is, especially for uh, goalkeepers. Agreed. Juggles football culture. Great to see some heart and soul in Central Coast Mariners. Yes. With great effort comes great reward. I and really shout out to Juggles football culture. Uh, I believe uh, she got in touch with me this week and she's sending us a shirt that we'll probably wear next week. Uh, she runs a football store, Amanda, uh, in the Central Coast. So go check out that store. We'll have more details about it next week. Uh, we have I'm actually that. wondering if this is the same Amanda that I've met who also heads up the Liverpool Football Club supporters group in New South Wales. Amanda, if that is you, confirm or deny. I've had the pleasure if it is the correct person that I'm thinking of of meeting Amanda and she's a wonderful human being very passionate about her football but we love jerseys we love any gifts that we can get here on the world game and we love supporting any businesses or anyone out there that's actively involved and doing something special in the football community that you'd love us to promote so reach out to us let us know guys we want to share the love and we want to give you the support that you also deserve but um let's move on Santino Mamone, CC is a good away days. Couldn't agree more. Had to finish on that note there. The palm tree is always um, a memorable and iconic way to think about Central Coast Stadium. I want to move on to the next topic of conversation and introduce our next guest. Pave Yusup is the president of Melbourne Knights, and we're absolutely delighted that he could join us here today on the World Game Live. Pave, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your time. Welcome to you. It's great to have you on the program, my friend. Firstly, start off by telling us where we're at with the National Second Division. Uh, firstly, thanks for having me on, uh, here, Nick. Um, so obviously we've kind of been uh, batting away with this idea for about 10, 15 years um, in various ways. You know, our club, others, people generally have been speaking about a second division. Um, but the AFC, headed by Nicolaitis, has done a massive, massive job in, in stringing this all together. Uh, basically, you know, we were liaising with the FFA the last few months when it was COVID and, you know, we were pushing Victoria, sitting around doing nothing. Um, and so he uh, engaged with the FFA and, and basically got the green line to say, you know, 
produce a report. You know, tell us how you believe a, a second division in Australia can can happen. So that's been basically done now. Uh, the report was released uh, last week, and then basically now we're at the point where our club and, and a few others are basically throwing the gauntlet down, so to speak, to say the FFA. You know, what's the what's the whole up? The, the report there, the financials are there. Um, we can make it happen. So let's make it happen. You know, let's let's set a time frame. You know, take, let's take applications this year, and and we'll see ahead. What's the what's the what's the way? Essentially, you uh, you put up some really strong thoughts uh, around this issue, particularly, and I want to quote some of them. If football Oz does not come to an agreement about the criteria of a national second division and take applications this year, then something is rotten in the state of Denmark. There is no legitimate reason for Football Australia or the A League teams to block stall obfuscate or pervert the intent of the National Second Division as outlined in the report. The clubs are confident they can make it happen, are prepared to fully fund the competition and take on the risk. For those of you that haven't had the opportunity to have a look at Pave's thread in full, I encourage you to go to his page and see them because they're, they're certainly very valid points that you make in this instance, Pave, but I want to pick up on the point that you made about something potentially being written in the state of Denmark. Do you think there could be any legitimate reason that football Australia would be blocking this because from their perspective they seem very intent on getting it up. It's just a matter of of, of when. Yeah, so look, that, that's probably my frustration frustration people that are involved soccer at this level is that we've been down this road before, you know, Frank Lowy said we're gonna have a second division. Uh David Gallup said we're gonna have a second division. Johnson has said the same thing, Nico has said the same thing. But it's one thing to say it and it's another thing to actually happen. Um, obviously, the uh, the atmosphere out there and the, and the general public feeling is that we need to have it and we want to have it. So that's that's a big change from say 15 years ago, where it was you know it'd be nice, but how can we make it happen now? We've progressed to the point where I think the majority of the A League fans would, would say, yeah, we need to have it and let's let's get it going. So you know, if if they don't uh, want to quickly make this happen, well, there's nothing wrong. But there's a reason why uh, this hasn't happened up until now. And the other point is, having a national second division is a lot different, a lot a very different proposition to the A League when that came about. Because the A League at the time had to succeed. It, it, it wasn't a choice of you know maybe it'll uh, succeed and you know it doesn't we can trust it. It was a make or break moment. It had to, it had to happen and it had to succeed. Second division is not the same thing. Uh, if there's you know 32 odd clubs that are willing to participate and this happen, uh, if it does fall over, you can play for a year or two and it doesn't happen, well, nearly all of these clubs have been in the situation before, where it's gone up and gone down, and we'll go back to playing where we are and, and others, and, and life goes on, and this kind of conversation goes by the wayside. But um, that's again no skin off the face nose, really. So I can't see any reason why. Uh, what's the weight, essentially? Especially now that the league is unbundled, the FFA is, uh, I can say, less preoccupied with, with the A-League. So I think the timing is, is, is perfect. 
Um, a comment coming through from Ivan Stragan, Double AFC brought forward all the financials. There's no reason we can't have a second div at this point. Nadia Dietanace, one of our other top viewers here on the World Game Live, great to have your company and welcome you back to the show, Nadia. We need a second division. I think that's all very straightforward and clear. We're in a situation now where we need to get a second division up and running. There's an appetite for it. There's been an appetite, as you said, Pave, earlier on in the show, um, you know, an appetite for it for some time now. And one more question I would love to ask you before I throw over to Stolich and we get some more questions coming through from our viewers is do you feel like when it comes to football Australia now that this is ultimately just about a power struggle and about control because they feel as though they are the ones in the driving seat and they are entitled to be the ones that commission reports that do the research and do everything off their own back because ultimately if this does fail Pave it will reflect quite negatively on football Australia so do you feel as though this is just about them more than it is about them trying to block things and them actually just getting this right uh no because as i said they they, they didn't make a report um the afc obviously has been pushing for it to, for this to happen and and when approach when they approached the FFA, the FFA gave so basically they come to us with the thing um and when able to, to, to invest time and, and effort into it um for sure, look, FFA is in the driver's seat, and so they should be. There's the, the national association, um, but you know, we're, we're, I think the, the clubs that are wanting to be involved are putting forward a proposition, you know, for the good of the game as well as willing to work with FFA as much as possible to, to get it off the ground. You know, I think I said yesterday, there's a couple of people involved in clubs that have, you know, off the record approached a few major companies for sponsorship. You know, not for the club itself, but or the competition, but for the FFA to help the competition. So, I think that there's a lot of goodwill there. But you know, we're basically we're begging for it, and we just need uh, FFA to you know tick the box, open the door, and and you know, we go on our merry way, happy as Larry. Over to you, Solich. Some questions for Pavel while we've got him. Yeah, Pavel. What I wanted to know is, let's say you know we got the go ahead. 2022, let's do a second division, a national second division with the costings that the AAFC had. Would Melbourne Knights have the money and would be able to go first season? And are you aware of, say, 11 other clubs that would be also willing? Like, is is the financials there or is there need to be a little bit of a, I don't know, a, a restructure or something to get to that level? Good question. Um, from our perspective, yeah, the financials would be there. We've been working for um, you know, through strategic planning and uh, discussions with other stakeholders and clubs and council and state government and a lot of other things. So, for, from our perspective, yeah, uh, the financials are there. Whether we get in, again, not up to us. We are pushing for it, but that doesn't mean we're in order to be sure. Because there could be someone that's got a better proposition than us. But uh, is there enough clubs to fill it? Yeah, absolutely. You know. For example, I know for a fact that in, in Perth, there's, there's a couple of clubs that want to apply as a as a as a joint kind of concern rather than um, you know an ind- individual or a standalone club. So I think yeah, there is there is um, absolutely enough clubs to to make it happen, and a lot of them are operating nearly at this level already. You know, the only cost slightly more cost for players and and coaches as well as travel and accommodation, and through the through the fee that's being proposed of an upfront two hundred thousand dollar affiliation, which covers the actual total accommodation, well, it's you know it's not it's not a massive proposition to to go through with. 
A comment coming through, or a question rather, from Matthew M. Papas. Matthew, thanks for your comment. He says, there was a published article stating, and I, I haven't read this article, so apologies, stating that Football Australia are worried about pushback from state federations. What have your discussions been like with state federations, and are you aware of any pushback there? But also, further reaching than that, what has the response been from any A-League clubs potentially that you've put the feelers out to? Because I, my understanding is, our understanding, Nick and I have had this conversation off air previously, Pave, is that some A-League clubs won't be all that thrilled by the prospect of a national second division. So, clubs, um, I think they're not, they don't actually realise the um, the uh, positive effect this could have on them. Like, I just look at myself, for example, I don't really follow the A-League. Um, I've watched a handful of games live and a handful of games. Why, why, don't, you, why don't you, out of curiosity, follow the A-League? Because I follow my club. That's it. Pretty simple. Um, so, but uh, bring a second division about, and which you know, hopefully within mine links links our, our pool. I'm automatically more interested in the A League. There, there's there's let's call them wounds or, or wrongs being righted by 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 uh, this coming getting grant. Automatically, uh, I'm more interested in, in, in the A League, and I'd say it goes the other way as well. Maybe more in the second division to see, you know, who are that becoming players and how this how this club presenting itself and what are they doing different to us and what can we learn off them and what you know both ways. Um, so I don't think I don't think uh, it's going to be to the detriment of of uh, the A League clubs. Um, speaking to a few of them, they some don't really care. Well, they don't feel that it will do anything to them. Others are um, supportive. You know, they think it's a good thing. And at the same time, I don't think that it'll be detrimental to them. That's all I know in the In relation to the state federations, I'm a Western Zone representative, so a member of our state federation. And our federation has been supportive of this for, for a long while, likewise in New South Wales. I'm pretty sure um, Queensland and South Australia and Perth are as well. Um, so no, I, don't, I don't think that they're going to be losing much if this came about, especially because, you know, we're talking about taking the senior team out of their jurisdiction, so to speak. Our juniors will still be playing in their league, you know, we'll still be paying fees, we'll still be engaged in what they're doing. So I don't think that it's um, any, I haven't heard of any pushback from any at this point. Uh, looks like we've just lost Lucy uh, for a minute. Don't know what that is. But, Pava, I'll ask you, uh, there's a lot of talk between um, the conference model and the national second division. What do you prefer? Uh, what do you see the benefits and kind of the negatives of both? I think most people prefer a proper national-only uh, second division. You know, the, the NSL had a period of having conference uh, league and, and it had a lot of weaker clubs. And and you know the point we're trying to we're trying to with 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 bringing about a second division is to kind of reach for the level of the A League clubs, not necessarily get there, but you know get the best of the best. The, the clubs have got the biggest scope to grow. Um, you know, the membership, uh, you know, stadium uh, history, uh, youth development system, and so forth. So I, I think it's absolutely a national. Division. I think the, the, the conference model. Um, I, I, just, I don't see the, the 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 benefits, especially because if you look at the report, the having a conference model is still a lot of trouble involved, and the offset of having it conference doesn't really save you that much 
that much money at all. It's a really good point that you made there, and apologies to my technical difficulties just a moment there, because I remember asking Mr. Lada when we had him on the show about a conference model and potentially why that wouldn't be the way to go forward. So to hear actually that it, you know, doesn't actually really solve the problem in terms of costs, because that, from reading the report, my understanding is is that that's where the bulk of your financial, I guess if you were to call them issues or strain, would be coming from, and that is due to travel costs. You said something interesting there earlier when I asked you about why you don't watch the A-League and it's because you support your club. And I have a feeling it has to do with a tweet that you also put up yesterday in which I've just been muted again. Unity is something that we've all just been really crying out for. Everyone seems to be saying that we're crying out for unity. What that looks like, we don't know exactly. Um, but can you tell me about those old wounds that you're referring to in that particular tweet? Is it the way that we just discarded the old NSL and moved towards this new era of the A-League? Um, and, and would a national second division go a long way in bridging that gap and healing those wounds, Pave? Absolutely. Look, uh, the, those, that comment on that is a little bit different to say a fan of the club that hasn't been for 10, 15 years. They're, they're probably hurting in a different way and, and maybe even more than what we are, as in those people over here all the time, because you know, they're still alive and they're still here. And we'll endure and, and be around and, uh, you know, we're, we're not dead. Um, but you know, does it does it leave a bit of safe taste in your mouth? Yeah, a little bit. But we're kind of looking forward now rather than, than backwards because we can kind of you can kind of smell this is this is happening. Um, and I think the FFA FFA knows that. And and again, we just got to get it get it going. Um, and and you know, all all uh, full steam ahead basically. Uh, Pave, can I just ask, you know, where um, with promotion relegation, there's talk of initially the National Second Division won't have promotion relegation. How, you know, how do you feel? Does it need to be introduced straight away? Does it need to be introduced within three years? Or, you know, how long can this league survive if there isn't promotion relegation and that kind of that thing to chase that everyone, you know, desperately desires? It's a good question. Um, how long can it survive? Well, the... Victorian State League survived without promotion for the highest league since 1987, right? So I think it can survive indefinitely. This is the right solution, no. Um, but, you know, it's very difficult to, to, to put forward with the second division um, and and say the same time, let's have promotion and relegation to the league. Let's, let's first show um, the, the soccer public the merit of the competition. Let's first get it embedded. Let's first get it strong. Um, and then let's assess if um, we are, you know, close to, to A-League levels of sponsorship, uh, crowds, uh, playing quality and all the rest of the, the things that go along with that. Um, so, look, it's, it's, it, ideally, yeah, it'd be great, but realistically, probably not. Um, so at this point, I think, well, I think there's a, there's a, there'll be a few clubs as well that want to be in a second division and not get promoted. And there'll obviously be a few that do. Like every league in the world, you know, it, 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 the water will find as well. Mm. One final question for me before we say goodbye, Pave. Really appreciate your time here today, and it's kind of going back to what we've already touched on, but getting you to elaborate on it a little bit more, um, and and really adding further weight to your tweet that you'd already put up, saying if they don't do it, then something is rotten in the state of Denmark. What could some of the perceived reasons be around why? anyone, whether it be Football Australia, State Federations or A-League clubs, why they wouldn't want a viable national second division? Well, the most obvious reason is that they, they feel threatened that it will detract 
detract from the A-League. And, and my only point to that would be, um, well, it doesn't really show that the A-League is in a very strong position if that is the case. You know, if they're really confident and 20,000-plus fans are worried about a second division, well, then there's something really wrong. Um, if they're allowed, you know, the A-League club as a whole to, to you know, hold the game to ransom, so to speak, by, by stopping this, well, that's a problem as well. You know, we've gone full circle back to the, the same accusation that the NSL clubs faced in the in the 2000s. Um, so you need a, you need a strong FFA. They need to be the boss. There's no doubt about that. Um, and they need to be bold. So I think uh, I think Johnson came that, that wide, so to speak. Um, but it's kind of petered out, and we need to see some real movement. I think uh, everyone's asking something for that. You know, the A League is a little bit um, wouldn't call it stale, but it's it's not as exciting as it as it used to be. Let's let's say to, to the general hunter out there. So something needs to change. And now that the clubs have the ability, the A League clubs that is, have the ability to you know market themselves as they see fit, and merchandise, and all those things that they're looking for. Um, the FFA, you know, essentially at the moment is is there to strategically direct the sport as well as run the national teams. And, and you know, having a second division as a, as a small project for two three years and then you know hoist it off to to be part of the professional league system is you know pretty obvious kind of move forward. Well, they've slated big things in the eleven principles. Like I was caught up with James Johnson last week, and he said, you know, it's not a matter of if; it's only when. So it seems as though it's just a matter of time before we get a national second division up and running. Pave Yusuf, thank you so much for your time here today, Melbourne Knights president. Great to have further insight from clubland level. I think um, it's good to hear not just from administrators and those advocating for it, but from somebody that is not just advocating for it, but also at the ground level. Tell us we are ready. We're in a position where if you establish this competition, we can go forward with it and it can be a success. That's music to our ears right now in the football community. Are there? Great to see you, mate. And we look forward to catching up with you again soon to find out just where things are at. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, Pave. Yeah. Yes, great to have Parva join us there. Um, A-League memes, I have to pick up on the point that you made earlier there, Lucy, having a mayor of the day. You're absolutely freaking right. What's going on with my internet? What's going on with my speaker here? It's all falling apart. Technical difficulties, COVID wreaking havoc once again. But, guys, um, I, am, I am back on deck, hopefully now, with no disruption as we look to wrap up the end of the show there. Some final points on Parva's, um, you know, sentiments around all of this knowledge. I know that you read through the thread of tweets, as I said earlier, for those of you that haven't had a look, go and um, go and explore them because he, he says some strong things. But I think at this point we need strong things to be said about the National Second Division because all it's been in its infancy and for a long time now is just a discussion stolage. But to see it conceptualised in a report which the AAFC commissioned along with all of its member clubs. And to see something tangible, I think, is a good starting point, whether you agree or disagree with it. There are some things in the model that have been proposed that I disagree with. But to hear also some further insight from Parve to say, well, look, actually, no, a conference model was floated, but the offset of the costs, it doesn't really balance out and doesn't really make sense. So we want to push for a national, actual national second division. Um, to the naysayers out there, what do you say, Stolich? Um, do you agree with them? Do you disagree with them? Do you have optimism about this? Where's your head at on it all? Um, I think, like Pav actually said just then, they can smell it. And there is, you know, the winds of change are coming and that's probably why they're pushing now and they are kind of, you know, these clubs are even acting a little bit more confident than we've seen in the past because they kind of feel that it's coming soon. Now, 
at the same time, why are they speaking out? Because maybe they also see that this is their chance to capitalize on the moment. And maybe they see that that might be slipping if they don't capitalize on it right now. But listen, long term, we're going to have a national second division. Uh, it's just how that's going to look and who's going to be in charge. And all these things need to be ironed out. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, the desire is there for a lot of people. And I do think it will happen, uh, just exactly how it's going to happen. And, you know, the conference model might work for some clubs and might not work for other clubs and, and all this type of stuff. I just want to make sure that, you know, the second division, all the clubs are viable. I think that's kind yeah. of the first, uh, you know, issue that you don't have kind of even within that second division tiers, you know, that can always be an issue when there's just teams that are awful and, and diluting the quality. And that can happen in all types of league, not just the national second division. But, yeah, I, I think uh, it looks promising, uh, although not perfect. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we should be aware of that. And there are definitely holes uh, in it, but I think that's okay. I think you can still go forward with uh, the imperfections. Mm, a comment coming through from um, one of our beloved friends at SBS, Nick Christou, the great Nicky Christou. He said, find it interesting that the president of a club which harbours ambition of one day making it to the A-League via a second division admits he doesn't follow the A-League. Wouldn't you want to know what to expect in terms of playing standards, etc.? It's a really good point, and I think it speaks to the issue of just these wounds existing there, Stolich. And that's why I wanted to ask him that question because he also tweeted about it and he even touched on it in the interview. To say that you don't watch the A-League, I mean, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit when I hear that, but, I, you know, I find this such a complex issue because I understand the NSL diaspora. I understand mm. them because they feel as though they were just shunted to the side, treated like trash and said, you know what, we don't care about the history and everything that you've brought to football in this, you know, this glistening period because it was a glistening period in terms of all the players that we developed. Um, but we're going to shove you to the side because now we're, we're ushering in a new era. And so I get it. But I also think that we're at a point where, and I've written about it before, we need to start respecting the A-League. It is our premier football competition in this country. And whether you think it's failing, whether you think it's succeeding, whatever it is, we need to support it. Because imagine if we were to end up in a situation where it collapsed entirely. And I think that we are in a scenario where we have faced some very dodgy waters, some very choppy waters in which the future of it was looking very grim. But we seem to be coming out the other side of it. Thank God we were able to survive through the the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's still obviously got its clutches on us. Um, And likewise for the W league so i think that you know it's a really tricky one this one for me um you know i want to see these clubs brought back in via a second division but i also want to see them support the a-league and see it as a viable option for them uh stolich let's move on of course to Mm. the next topic of conversation and i want to touch on the premier league right because there's been big news coming out of the uk in the last 48 hours concerning lampard out and tuchel in over at chelsea firstly your reaction to the news was it the right call but were you surprised by it I mean knowing historically what Chelsea can be like when it comes to the business of this football club and with Roman Abramovich running things were you entirely shocked when they made this announcement no not entirely because like you say we know you know Chelsea are ruthless and they've had success being ruthless as well it's not like they've been ruthless with coaches and and not continue to win they've won premier league titles again and again and shot those coaches again and again you know i i was saying to you earlier but i remember ancelotti when he won the league and the fa cup the double the next season <laughs> finishes second chop you know uh, 
Conte. Conte did fantastic with Chelsea. Second season, chop. And, you know, the, it, you know, the team went pretty poorly afterwards in that second season. But, you know, Abramovich doesn't waste any time. And this is a guy who made his, you know, money with Russian oil in the 90s. This guy, you know, don't worry about loyalty. He just plays for results. Uh, you know, he's not scared of anything. So uh, it's a big call. But, you know, I know Chelsea fans are going to be sad because Frank Lampard is such a legend. He's maybe, you know, their best ever player. But you cannot tell me that Tuchel isn't an upgrade on Lampard as a coach. You know, this is a guy who got PSG to the Champions League finals. This is a guy who did so well with Dortmund all those years ago. Uh, Tuchel Ooh, is incredible. Not according to Ari Brisbane, though, one of our regular yeah. viewers. Tuchel is a tool. You know what, Ari? I reckon you're a tool if you think that. <laughs> He's a sensational coach. He plays expansive, beautiful, attacking football. He's a yeah. great tactician, a great man manager. He knows how to get the best out of his plays. It was unfortunate fortunate that he got shafted from PSG, but it was because they didn't deem him to get the success that they wanted, and it was a Champions League trophy. But, you know, he won titles with them. He won, you know, cup competitions with them. He did a yeah. fabulous job with them. And, he, and like you said, Stolich, if you're a Blues fan, you're looking at this scenario and you're thinking, gee, there my club go again. They're back at it making rash decisions. And I think it was a very rash decision to um, to show Lampard the door. Abramovich was lusting after him so vigorously saying, come and fix our problems, get us out of the doldrums. And someone tweeted me actually, and it was something like 48 days ago, they'd made a run of like 17 consecutive games yeah. where they were winning and they were on top of the table and they were in fabulous form. And now to be, okay, they've they've really slumped. They absolutely have. But to make this kind of decision, he needed time. And Lampard himself has come out and said as much. Um, moving on to the next topic of conversation, though, Blues fans, though, if we have any tuning in to, a, to the World Game Live here, I'd love to hear your thoughts via the comment section. So get them in. Um, are you happy about this? Do you disagree with it? What are your thoughts? But what's gone wrong at Liverpool? Look, we all know that I'm going to go on a rant about it, but everyone's obviously sick of hearing me talk about Liverpool. I want to know from somebody that's not a Liverpool supporter and for those of us tuning in here today, what do you think? What's gone wrong? Because I've got my theory, Stolich, but what are yours? I just think it's very hard to replace, you know, Virgil van Dijk at the back, and then that's caused a lot of reshuffles. Uh, you know, you have the issues of so much turnover. You know, Liverpool play this, or when they were very successful, they played this incredible high-pressing, you know, Gergen press football, heavy metal football, as Jurgen Klopp says. That's very hard to do in the current environment where you're playing so many games a day, where players have contracted COVID and have been out and injuries and all that stuff. It's very hard to maintain that. And I actually think Liverpool have been doing all right this season given all that. But, yeah, they're not getting up to their super high standards that they've had the past two years. And I just sometimes think, you know, I see people blaming, like, Thiago or something. He doesn't fit in this team. Man, get the hell out of here. Thiago is the top three midfielder in the world, any team he works in. So if, if, if Thiago doesn't work in your team, there's something wrong in your team, not Thiago. That's for sure. Um, but. I think I think they're just struggling with the defense that they constantly have to do. One big thing that I'm kind of frustrated with, uh, you know, not even being a Liverpool fan, but just a fan of these players, Alexander Arnold's form. Alexander Arnold was going to best, you know, right back in the world, and then it's I don't know what's happening. Maybe it's a personal thing. But he's just nowhere near at the level that he's been. The guy needs a rocket up his ghouls, and that's what he needs. And he needs it because there's no competition for places in 
like that. It's it's bumming Croatian. Um, there's no competition in key areas like that um, at Liverpool, and I think that that's been one of the contributing factors. A lot of these thoughts, if my boyfriend is listening here today and the father of my child <laughs> stolen from him, actually, because I tend to agree with him on 100% of the points, the players are fatigued. We don't have enough depth. Um, and, you know, when, when a player like Alexander-Arnold is in bad form and not playing well, this is your opportunity as a manager in the form of Jurgen Klopp to turn around and say, you know what, actually, I'm going to bench you for this particular game and see how you like it. And that's what I mean by rocket up the ghouls because he needs to know that there is someone breathing down his neck and that he's not going to be so comfortable in that position. And it also sends the wrong message to the rest of the playing group. You can have an absolute stinker consecutively, but you know what? You're still going to play for Liverpool Football Club, a club as dominant as they have been on both the European and domestic scale. Um, yeah. Further to that, another point I will make and the final point before we look, as I said earlier, to wrap up the show, um, is that I think we're in a situation now where you've got Jurgen Klopp coming out and speaking about his own frustrations publicly and that's a concern. That's the sign of a very frustrated manager when you're coming out and you're saying things like, well, look, you know, when it comes to buying players, it's not my fault. I've wanted to do that. And I'm paraphrasing here, but if you have a listen to some of his recent comments in press conferences, he's, he's starting to show signs of someone that's really frustrated with decisions that are being made at the top. So he's obviously trying to recruit players and he's trying to add depth but they're not being able to do that um whether that's for financial reasons due to COVID, i'm not entirely sure but watch this space it's not been good they've dropped out of the um the, the top four at the moment which isn't really positive for them but when you look at the premier league ladder this will surprise you and almost shock the hell out of you the most not this but when i get to the fourth position you've got man city on top on 41 points manchester united in second on 40 leicester in third and then you've got west ham in fourth i mean that's pretty cackadoodle but Credit to them because they've surprised and, as I said before, probably shocked the shit out of everybody. Let's move on to Aussie Broad Stolich because there is a hell of a lot going on in that space. We've been talking about Daniel Arzani. This, I think, will be the third consecutive week and with good reason because he is a player that we need to be playing, that we need to find a club for. And he has found a club, uh, AGF in Denmark, finally the announcement there. I know there was a lot of pressure coming forth from within the Australian football community, uh, Graham Arnold, namely being one of them, suggesting that he should come home. I'm glad for one that he hasn't come home. Matty Ryan has secured a loan over to Arsenal, which makes big, big news. Caleb Watts makes his Premier League debut and Ellie Carpenter, massive, massive news, news, pardon me. Big congratulations to our beloved Ellie on being named the Asian Football Confederation's best women's player of 2020. But Arzani's move to Denmark first, please, Stolich, your reaction to that. Well, uh, it's definitely good that he's out of Utrecht because that wasn't working at all. Um, I don't listen. I don't know the Danish league well enough. One thing I do know is that uh, Zach Duncan and uh, Alex Gersbach are there, so hopefully they can help him settle. You know, it can be sometimes as important for a young player to settle off the pitch as it is that will then lead to them settling on the pitch. So that's good. Um, you know, I think they're third uh, in Denmark, so you know they're playing at a relatively good level. Uh, my thing is just listen. It needs to work out now. Uh, you know, we've had we've had Celtic. He had the injury. We had uh, Utrecht. It hasn't worked out there. It needs to happen now. And again, you know, I, he's one of my favourite players. But this is a big six months for him and you know for his future in Australian football. And I think if he gets it together, he can go on to be one of our great players. But uh, if it doesn't work out here, then. I don't know where next for him. You know, it'll be back to the A-League probably and then he really has to kind of press reset on his career.
Well, we'll have to take out Manchester City football player out of his uh, Instagram bio. That'll probably be the first thing that'll happen. A-League memes, everyone is labelling Arzani a prodigy and giving him a burden of unreasonable expectations. I disagree, you know, and I know, and Marco Rudan is a beloved friend of ours as well, but I saw that he made a comment about Piraeus actually because there's been a lot of fuss about Dylan recently in the press because he's been doing so well for them that we need to pump the brakes and that we, and, and, and a lot of footballers and ex-footballers will say the same thing. I have the same arguments with Corey when he says, oh, you know, can't put too much pressure on these young kids because they'll start to buckle you, start labelling them prodigies and this and that. You know what? When we started saying those things about Viluka, Lucas Neal, Harry Hall, my brother, for example, all these players that really started to shine in Australian football that went on to have glittering careers over in Europe, that didn't put pressure on them, that just emboldened them, that really embraced them for what was to come forward. And and I know I'm a bit of that old school mentality where I think we need to stop tiptoeing about these young kids, but I, I really believe in that because the more we start treating them like they're fragile, they will act fragile. We need mm. to say to them, you know what, actually, you do have a lot of promise, you do have a lot of talent and ability, but now this all falls on you and whether or not you have a career it all depends on you and how you see this playing out so I don't know burden of unreasonable expectations I'm not sure we've seen a lot to be excited by by Daniel Arzani but I agree with you Stolich if he doesn't start to play soon I'm going to be very worried about his future prospects within this national team outfit yeah and you know I think uh, on the kind of unreasonable expectations get what they're saying but my thing is look how confident he looked when he came on the pitch at the World Cup. That's not a guy who lacks confidence. That's not a guy who I think buckles under pressure. I think he's just had some unlucky kind of issues with injuries. Maybe he hasn't kind of seen eye to eye with a few coaches. Uh, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think he'll be okay. And, yeah, you talk about, you know, just listen, at the end of the day, some young players make it no matter how much hype there is. I remember hearing the hype about Messi didn't seem to have an issue for him. You know, Ansu Fati at Barcelona as well, 16-year-old, 16-year-old playing for Barcelona, it, he's scoring for the national team. He's scoring in the Champions League. Some people just thrive. Some people don't. It, it happens. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So. My Lucy, there wasn't social media at those times. Now the players can read social media. Guys, here's a lesson in social media. If it's going to get to your head and if it's going to screw with you, deactivate your account and get off it, right? So when I was copying all that garbage in Russia, people having a go at me for pronouncing players' names correctly, you know what I did? I switched it off. I didn't look at it and guess what? I went back to the hotel every night, I had a shot of vodka, got up four hours later and went at it again and had the time of my life. If social media bothers you, get off it, all right, kids? That's my advice to you. Um, talk to me about the Matty Ryan move to Arsenal before we wrap up the show with bad news, good news, Stolich. Um, huge deal for him. It's his boyhood club. He absolutely loved them. It is a loan deal, though. But the thing yeah. I also found interesting was that not too recently he put up a message on Instagram thanking his Brighton family, saying he'll remember the club forever, etc. They'll always have a special place in his heart. I'm paraphrasing. Go and have a look if you want the full story. But um, that sounds to me like a goodbye and not like this is just a loan spell, that this is a goodbye for good. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly fallen out there. I mean, he went from first choice to third choice almost instantly. So, He's not going back to Brighton, and obviously that's probably for the best. Um, you know, he gets to go to his boyhood club uh, in Arsenal uh, for six months, maybe longer. You know, who knows? I mean, Bern Leno had some injuries before, and that's how Martinez got in the squad, and they played some cup games. I mean, I know they've just been knocked out of the FA Cup, which is unfortunate uh, there. But, you know, Matt Ryan was always already on the bench. But, you know, it's just good for him as well to be at that kind of top level as well every day in training. You know, it's just six months. That's that's why I'm not too – if you signed a four-year contract and he was going to be the second choice for, you know, all these years, then you'd be a bit like, is that the best move for him? Six months. If he breaks into the team and proves it and has, like, a really good Europa League campaign, for example, other teams will start looking at him and saying, 
we need to get this guy. You know, he can only really, you know, up his reputation. So I actually think it's a good move. And I think any chance you have to move to your boyhood club, you know, you don't get that opportunity in life very often. So exactly. Just go, you know, there, enjoy it, soak it up, you know, be a part of the history. And if it doesn't work out in six months, I'm sure Matty Ryan will find a club in Europe because he's a top, top player. A very, very well-rounded keeper and someone that we love within soccer is Ivan Fraga. And I see Matty playing at best. Europa League and Cup games, if he does well, he might play in the Premier League. I certainly yeah. hope he gets his opportunity because it would be great to see. As we touched on earlier, Calabots made his Premier League debut, which is great. Nelly Carpenter doing fabulous things over at Lyon is the AFC best women's player of 2020 really wonderful stuff let's wrap up the show Stolich with bad news good news and starting with you guys we always love to hear what your bad news slash good news is for the week so please share your thoughts with us with Stolich what's been your bad news for the week well, my bad news for the week is uh, a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, uh, they built a statue uh, down in Melbourne uh, for Ferenc Pushkas, who was the coach, obviously, of South Melbourne, but one of the all-time greatest players in the history of the game, uh, Hungarian legend. Um, but, they, you know, they did a statue and it was really uh, nice. Let me see if I can bring up um, the image. Uh, but basically what's happened in Melbourne, and people can probably tell us down there, but the statue hasn't been looked after at all. It's been defaced uh, it's somewhere near Albert Park. But it's just a real shame um, to see it not looked after because this wouldn't happen with a statue of Don Bradman or, or someone no, like this. Um, so, you know, it's just a, it's just a real a shame. And I think, um, yeah, I think we're going to see it now. But you can see there the it's been chipped away at. I think it's got some bird crap on it or something. I don't know. I just think a legend like uh, Pushkas, the statue should have been looked after, and it's a shame to see it like that. And anyone who's involved in that in Melbourne, I don't know, give it a clean or make sure it's looked after or it's moved to a better spot because apparently it's in not a great spot. But I really liked it when I first heard the news that they were going to build the statue, and uh, it's a shame to see it treated this way. I couldn't agree more. Really awful. And if um, anyone has any knowledge of who's kind of responsible for the upkeep down there, let us know um, because it would be interesting to hear. Of course, our very own um, beloved Les Murray was a massive fan of Pushkas um, and he'd be devastated to see the state of this statue now. So, guys, got to get onto it. It's really not good. Um, my bad news is, is really quite sad for this week, unfortunately. Um, and Brazilian football, of course, was in mourning on Sunday with the news that uh, four players in the club president of Brazilian club Palmas were killed in a plane crash on takeoff, which is just devastating. We've seen a similar incident occur a couple of years back also, um, and you just you, you really feel for all of the families and the players and the football club and the people of Brazil um, involved because, you know, there's such passionate uh, football fans over there, and when they mourn about one, they mourn together. So um, on behalf of everybody here at the World Game, our thoughts are with everyone over at uh, Palmas in Brazil. Very, very sad news indeed. Let's try and wrap up with some good news, though. Stolich, your good news for the week? Well, I just want to give a shout-out to this goal from Tamika Yallop in the W League. Oh, my good news. Damn it. my good news. <laughs> We're going to roll. Let's roll the clip. It's both of us good news this week. This is an incredible goal. A Cruyff turn and then a shot from outside the box curled into the bottom corner. Let's have a look. Coming into the starting lineup, Olivia Chan. She's really impressed this first half. In it goes. Can they get a second goal to roll? Yallop. With the turn and the shot from Yallop! How about that from Tamika Yallop? Off the woodwork and in, and the Raw are 2-0 up. Whoa, what a goal that is. I just, it was almost rude. 
It was that good. It was sensational. Yeah. I love seeing Tamika back in the W League. I love seeing her back at the Raw. And, um, again, we, we should convene on what our good news and bad news is for the week. We normally do, but on the good news front, I said, oh, let me go away and let me have a think about it. But that goal was just extraordinary. And I think, um, you know, what we're seeing from the W League at the moment, for me, it's been really impressive. I had the opportunity to catch a couple of the games over the weekend in the clash between Canberra United and Perth Glory. They played it out in an absolute and utter stinker, 40-degree heat. It ended up finishing 1-1 after Canberra United were able to peg one back in the late stages of the game. But really good stuff to see. Credit to the players who battled it out in such extreme conditions. But also really delighted by Adelaide United at the moment and what they have to offer. Um, their, their match that they played against Melbourne City was just fantastic. We had Sam Lewis on the week before who said that they're such a well-balanced team. They are the team to look out for this season and with every um, with every right possible because they've been just great. Spellich, and to all of our viewers, thank you so much for tuning in today. It has been an absolute pleasure and delight. Mike Long, thanks, guys. Great show. Always is when we have the company of all of our guests that have joined us as well. We want to give a big shout-out to them. Ruan Tonic, Pave Yusupa, the Melbourne Knights uh, president. Fantastic to have his insights and views about the National Second Division. And you can also catch uh, defender Andrew Durante, who's on the cusp of playing his 400th professional game this weekend. We hope that Roods gives him the call-up. It would be great to see a lot of the stories, of course, that we have discussed. You can head to the World Game website to get all of your information from there. It is your one-stop shop for opinion pieces, content from not just Australia but internationally as well. Guys, pleasure to join you. We'll be back again next Monday from 1pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time with another jam-packed program for you. Give us your suggestions as well. Write to us on social media. Are there any particular guests that you'd like to see us get on the show? Because we'd love to have your insights as well about who you'd like to hear from but on behalf of myself Stolich and the entire team at the World Game it's goodbye for now and we'll see you again next week